baptism is an amazing thing. Not only does it make it cho- us children of God, but it makes us brothers and sisters of the same family. It creates a communion or establishes a communion between each and every Christian throughout the world. It's interesting that when we talk about the communion of saints, something that we profess actually in the Apostles' Creed, not in the Nicene Creed that we pray today, but in the Apostles' Creed, the one we usually pray at the beginning of the rosary, we say that we believe in the communion of saints. That doesn't just mean that we believe in those who are in heaven who are saints, but it means that we believe in the communion of holy things. St. Paul would call the early Christians saints because of what they were called to. Think about it. When we receive Holy Communion, there we find the same word again, communion. Because it is as children of God, children of the same Father, that we are fed the body and blood of Christ. The very God who gave his life for us, we are nourished with. And we call this communion. Because as we, the children, receive it, we are built up into the body of Christ more. In fact, each time that we receive communion worthily, we receive a greater outpouring of that divine filiation, which is just a fancy way of saying the divine life within us, or that divine sonship, to be sons and daughters of God. In other words, we're made more godlike when we receive communion worthily, and that bond of unity is built up. St. Augustine would comment, to paraphrase him, he would say, he would marvel, he would say, O sacrament of charity, O bond of unity. Now, in our old church, there was a painting on the wall, and that painting showed Ambrose stopping an emperor from entering the church. The emperor is Theodosius who was actually a great defender and promoter of Christianity. Theodosius was the one who called together the council that basically gave us the creed that we use at the Mass. He was the one who not only legalized Christianity, that was Constantine who had done that, but he made it the official religion of the the empire. But Theodosius had done something that was grievous against the communion of the church. There was a town, Thessalonica, that had had a riot. Their people had basically disagreed with the captain of the garrison there who had arrested a charioteer who was very famous. You might think of a a race car driver nowadays or some other uh, personality because of this man's degenerate moral behavior. And he had been arrested, and the people had rioted. And in that riot, Botheric, the captain of the guard, had been killed. And so the emperor, in his rage, he had a a temper that was well known, sent an order that all of the people were to be lulled into or trapped in the actual stadium where the chariot races would take place. And then the soldiers were to go systematically through murdering them. Now... As soon as he had sent that out, well, not as soon, but not long after, he realized that was not good. But it was too late. The second message couldn't make it in time. 
And so in one day, 7,000 people indiscriminately were killed. And so the painting we had in the old church showed Ambrose excommunicating the emperor, which was a very bold act to do. No one had ever done such a thing to an emperor. To cross the emperor was basically to lose one's life. And he stood and with stood Theodosius at the doors of the church. And for eight months, he would not let him even enter the church to hear the mass because of such a grievous and public sin. The reason I bring this up is because had Ambrose let him in, it would have been a sin against communion. Very, and it would have shown that the church didn't really take um, seriously her own teachings if there was no teeth behind it. Today is our last discussion about the Eucharist. Today I wish to focus on communion and excommunion because they're related actually, or excommunication. Communion can only take place or unity in the church based on two things, truth and charity. Where there is no uh, truth, it's just sentiment. Where there's no charity, it's cold. If there's truth without charity, it's, it's simply just cold facts. We need both of these things in order to have unity. And that unity is built up, yes, each time we receive our Lord in the Eucharist. But when someone sins against truth or charity in a very public way, as Theodosius did, the church not only has a right, but a moral obligation to stand up to that person. Now, the church doesn't correct everyone in the same way. Remember, the church corrects her own children in a way more personal than she does those who are outside the church. But when someone, whether they be a politician or someone else who has public notoriety, does a sin that's public, not something hidden that's unknown, but something that grievously goes against the moral law, the church, for the good of that person, must punish them and often remove their ability to receive the Eucharist. Why? Because the Eucharist does build us up when our souls are healthy. But if we receive the Eucharist when we're in a state of serious sin, maybe when we've committed something that is grievous against other people, the Eucharist becomes actually toxic to us. Perhaps we can understand it this way. Tree nuts are good in themselves. They're good food. But to some people, they're toxic. If someone has an allergic to a tree nut, or let's say a peanut, that which in itself is good, has been given by God, is not good for them. The soul that has committed a serious mortal sin is now in a state where the Eucharist, which is an objectively good spiritual food, can no longer give them nourishment and build them up in the spiritual life until they've made a good confession. Pause. You might ask then, well, what if the priest knows my sin? He knows that I haven't confessed the sin. Let's say he uh, saw me do something really bad. Well, the priest is not going to deny you communion because that's a private sin, even if he knows that you've done that. Because the alternative would be worse. People would be coming up and being like, oh, what about if Father is not going to give me communion? It would lead to this great uh, lack of trust. But when a sin is publicly known outside, when it's of a grave nature, the priest and the bishop, the deacon has an obligation not to. 
because otherwise it'd be like saying this, I don't care if you're saved or not. I don't care if you go to hell. That would be a horrible thing to say by giving somebody communion. And yet there are some who argue, oh, we shouldn't make the communion line a political thing. I totally agree. But denying communion to somebody who holds something objectively wrong in a public way, in policy or something, is not politicizing communion. They're trying to impose a politicization on it from the outside. It's for the good of the soul. Now, the canon law and the church teaching practice says that a bishop or a priest, a pastor of the church, should go to the person first. So let's say it's a politician who's voted a very um, uh, anti-life bill. They've supported it. That's a grievous sin. It's a public sin. First, that sinner is to be uh, confronted and in private, told. But if they will not amend and they will not publicly renounce it, they are to be denied communion. This is in accord with the law of the church. Unfortunately, some prelates and priests do not impose this law, which they should. But that's not just a, a personal sin of theirs or allowing someone to continue in sin but it's actually a sin against communion and against each and every one of us in the church. Because what it does is it does one of two things. As I said before, it either tells the person, even if they don't believe this or accept it, that I don't really care about your salvation, or it says that the person who's giving them communion doesn't really believe what we truly, the church teaches and what we profess, that the communion is the body and blood of Christ. My friends, Communion is such a wonderful gift. Not only do we receive the Lord of life into our souls, but he builds us up more into his image. We are divinized. Let us always make sure that we receive it with the greatest reverence. And let us understand more deeply the fact that throughout history, there have been certain individuals who have been put outside of communion, that this is something for their remedy. It's not simply a punishment but it's meant to be medicinal. This goes back to the Apostle Paul himself, who mentions handing over, both in his letter to Timothy and in his letter to the Corinthians, handing over individuals to the domain of Satan. That's putting somebody outside the church. Why? So that they might realize the seriousness of what they have done and repent and come back. May we always stay close to our Lord May we be built up into him and so that one day when we come before him, we might see him face to face.